Hello and welcome to the Impact Consulting Podcast with me, your host, Loxanne Harley. Today, we've got a good friend of the IC Hub, Anne-Murray Brown, on the show to share with us how she became the go-to monitoring evaluation or m and consultant. Now, many of you will know Anne already or know of Anne, but in case you haven't, she is a proud island girl who hails from the country of the world's fastest sprinters, Jamaica. Now based in the Netherlands, she's a seasoned m and expert with nearly two decades of professional experience. Anne has been involved in consultancies, funded and implemented by international organisations such as the United Nations and the European Commission. Her sectoral interests are gender equality, poverty reduction, migration, social protection, child protection, human rights and justice reform. Alongside her consultancy work, Anne has also created a suite of high-value products and services to help people learn about Ebony, which you can find on her website, annemurraybrown.com. That's A-N-N, murraybrown.com. In today's interview, we start by talking through Anne's own impact consulting journey, which is truly an inspiring one about how a major life challenge forced her to develop her consulting business from the ground up. We then talk about how Anne developed an incredible social media following by providing value to others. And we also touch on Anne's tips for how non-M&E consultants can develop M&E skills and build an M&E service offering from scratch. And then finally, we close with some of Anne's thoughts about how experienced M&E specialists can break through common plateaus, which really resonates with what we talk about at the IC Hub Leveling Up workshop. We'd like to thank Anne for coming on the show and thank you for listening. And if you're interested in learning what it takes to build your own independent consulting business in the social impact or international development spaces, then head on over to impactconsultinghub.com to find a ton of free resources. Without further ado, please do enjoy the show. Anne-Marie Brown, good morning. How are you? Where are you calling in from? I'm fantastic. At the moment, I am in The Hague, the Netherlands. The Hague. Just very quickly, why is it called The Hague? Why not A Hague? I have no idea. I think maybe it sounds more important, <laughs> as in, like you say, the one. So it That's is true. The Hague, not just any Hague, The Hague. <laughs> the definitive Hague. Great. Listeners would have heard a bit about you in the introduction. And I think you're quite well known in your field, especially, but also in fields surrounding it. But I want to ask just a little bit like what sort of you do M&E, but what sort of projects would you say you work on the most or what have you been working on recently? Just to give us a flavor of what you do. Okay, as you stated, I work in the international development space, focusing on monitoring and evaluation of development programs. So if you think the United Nations, WHO, all those organizations that are trying to do good in the world, and they might have a project dealing with education or the rights of women, rights of children, all these organizations have programs. And my job as an independent consultant is just to monitor the progress and to evaluate how successful these interventions have been in a nutshell. Great. And are you mainly doing evaluations now? Do you work also on the kind of project design when the evaluations and feedback into the loop? Okay. All right. Great question, Luxon. Right now, my work vary on my clients. So I do everything. 
Okay. I can help designing the projects, project design. I can help track implementation, how successful the program has been. And I can also be recruited by a client to do the evaluation. What has been the impact? We have been in this country, for example, a project has been going on for the last 10 years. Has it changed the lives of people in Bangladesh or in Jamaica or wherever? So I may be brought on board to do an impact evaluation. I may be recruited also to train persons to increase their capacity on how to evaluate their programs. I will review documents. I will also do impact assessments. If a program has never been done before, it's being piloted. I will also maybe do baseline studies as well, or needs assessment. So it varies. Yeah. Absolutely. And do you have a thematic specialism, do you, would you say, or a few thematic specialisms, or do you really work across the board on any kind of project that needs to be evaluated or monitored? Right. So I'm a generalist. Yeah. So I work in every area of the Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs. However, I do have a preference that I really focus on anything related to gender, diversity, and social inclusion. Fantastic. Cool. And I also wanted to quickly touch on perhaps your lifestyle as an independent consultant. You're based in The Hague, and I know you have been an independent consultant for quite a while. What does the life of Anne Murray Brown look like? I mean, do you use that independent consulting lifestyle to travel more for personal <laughs> reasons, or do you just, are you happy to just stick around and the Hague or how, what does it look like for you? Oh my gosh, looks that I sound like, you know, lifestyles of the rich probably, and famous. <laughs> well, you are kind of a bit of a famous. Around. I'm not going to ask about the rich part, but yeah, well, then there's probably a pre-COVID and post-COVID answer. To this exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Because th- that is what I was just about to say is that post-COVID, well, I don't know if we're post-COVID. I still think we're still living in the times of COVID. So, all right. So let me just talk about pre-COVID and current COVID times. So pre-COVID, it would involve a lot of travel, which is nice. And what I like about being a freelance or independent consultant is that I get to work on interesting projects all over the world with interesting teams, right? So before COVID, it was traveling all over, which is really nice, but it was tiring. And during pre-COVID, I wished some organizations had an appreciation of more remote ways of working because it it could be exhausting traveling all around. And I have a son, he's nine, right? And he was even younger pre-COVID when I was traveling all around. And one of the disadvantages of traveling all the time is that I do miss out some of the time with him. So... During COVID, traveling has decreased significantly, and it has been good in the sense that persons are using more online collaborative tools. Before COVID, there's work that didn't need flying in to do it, and I'm more appreciative of the type of working now where everything is more or less online, right? During COVID, it's far less travel. Yeah, I do miss sometimes going on location because I like interacting with people in the field and with the beneficiaries and persons whose lives were changing. Yeah, totally agree with all of that. Did you ever take your son on a mission, on a trip? Yes, yes. So I am Jamaican. 
right? Living yes. in the Netherlands. So I'm Jamaican, naturalized Dutch citizen. My son is born in the Netherlands, but he's also Jamaican. So every time I have projects in the Caribbean, I would make sure to take him along as well, just for him to know his heritage and yeah. a bit more. And for me, it is important for him to understand that the world is not just a country or a geographic location. So I quite like that at a young age, he traveled with me before school, of course, you know, after I really had to go to school, that got less. But I really like the idea of a world citizen and instilling yeah. that in my child. Awesome. Yeah, I was always just thinking if I have a kid at some point that I would bring, bring him or her along with me on some of my missions. <laughs> anyway, yeah, very interesting to know. And yeah, let's move on to, I suppose, how you got into m and &E. Or are we saying m and &E? Are we saying meal? I think you said when we spoke last that you like to think there's a bit of learning in there. So Yeah. Uh, oh, you remember <laughs> when Lux... <laughs> exactly. So uh, are we saying for this episode, m and &E, meal or mel? <laughs> Oh, wow. All these acronyms, all these acronyms. So for your listeners, the acronym M&E is Monitoring and Evaluation. And the MEAL is Monitoring, Evaluation, Accountability and Learning. And the MEL is Monitoring, Evaluation and Learning. And well, how I, I got into it, it's fine when it's M&E or MEL or MEAL, because not every organization has gotten to the point where they can have all the acronyms, right? Some organizations <laughs> only do M and E, <laughs> right? They don't do the meal, right? So how I got into it basically was by accident because around 20 years ago when I started, I worked in international development. I was working with UN, UNDP Jamaica at the time. And... When I was going to university, they didn't have any studies that's called Bachelor of Science in Monitoring and Evaluation. It was just part of the research methods. So you would do a course, you have a few courses at university in research methods, survey design, statistics, and then they have one that's called Monitoring and Evaluation, a little course. So I was working at UNDP on the programs. And they were rolling out this new way of the one UN, wherein all the work of UN agencies in the country had to be using a common log frame and align their work to this common log frame for the country. So if you're working at UNDP or you're working at UNAIDS, you would have your own log frame, of course. But back then it was the Millennium Development Goals. So you had to show how UN agency was achieving the Millennium Development Goals in country. So they had like a common log frame and they had to start monitoring it, reporting on it. And I was placed to do that because for some reason, persons felt intimidated by this big log frame and working on the indicators. So they sent me to do it. I was junior staff then. And I quite liked it. And that's how I stumbled into monitoring and evaluation. And as they say, the rest is history. Yeah, fantastic. And then how long did you do monitoring and evaluation as an employee before becoming self-employed? Okay, so I think close to 10 years. Yeah, okay. So very experienced in a way, yeah. pretty experienced when you went into it. Like we, at the IC Hub, we talk about a lot of, people who go into independent consulting tend to have had 
five to 10 years experience. They can have more, they can have a little bit less, but yeah, so that's, you're at the upper end of that. And then I suppose, how did it develop on from there? I mean, was it just, you hit the ground running and then you've been running ever since? How did your consulting journey develop? And how long ago was that, that you became independent? So I became independent around seven years ago. Okay. Right. That's a good question, actually, how I got started. And for me, it was simply because I didn't have a job. Yeah. And so to my situation is a little bit, I'm Jamaican and I migrated to the Netherlands because at the time my ex-husband is Dutch. So I started a family here, then got a divorce, became a single mom, so to speak. And that kind of restricted my ability to work full time. Then after the divorce, there was just one income, of course, right? So even if I wasn't working, I could rely a little bit on my husband's salary. Now, as a single mom in a country that I wasn't born in, I wasn't fluent in the language. I didn't go to university in Europe, right? I was confronted with a situation. Plus, I couldn't really go full time because I had to take care of my son. And then I had just lost a job as well. And I kept looking around for other employments. But when I would go on interviews, either there was a flexibility for me to combine that with the care of my son. Or I would hear, oh, your Dutch is not fluent enough, right? <laughs> or there would be some skepticism with, okay, yeah, yeah, you have a university degree, but okay, it's not from a European university. And then... So what I found was like, I felt at the time, like persons who were maybe bilingual, went to university in Europe, already had the network, were working for a longer time in Europe. They had fostered relationships, right? And it was in my mind at the time, way easier to get paid employment. So for me, getting into freelancing was a necessity, right? wherein I said, okay, it seemed as if there wasn't much paid employment opportunities for me in the Netherlands. So I said, wherever they need my service, I will make it available. So then I started to think freelancing to offer myself, why just to one company? Why not offer my services to the world? And wherever they need me, I'll go there, right? And this touches, leads into something else, which I don't know if you were planning to ask about my social media presence and so forth, right? Because then I started to think, if I'm going to sell myself on the global market, how will people know of me, right? That didn't go to university with me. I've never worked with me. I wasn't part of the organizations there. And that is when I started to build a social online presence, leveraging social media to get my brand out there. So that's it in a nutshell. Wow, incredible story and very inspiring as well, because I think a lot of people that come into the IC Hub, people who are interested in starting freelancing in the international development social impact spaces, M&E and other stuff as well, tend to think that they need to have a big network to get started or that they need X, Y, Z. And we, in our startup workshop, you know, we talk about some of the things that are, that are enabling factors, but we also say that these are all things that can be developed too. 
and it's inspiring to see how you did that. So to those out there who are thinking about this and thinking, oh, perhaps my network's not big enough or perhaps I haven't got enough experience, these are all things that you can work on. And yeah, so I'm very keen and to, and also just as another side note, I find that people who get started in consulting, often there needs to be that trigger in some ways which can come from crisis and it can come from something other, some other sort of big change in one's life. But I think a lot of people have an idea of doing consulting, but then they get a bit too comfortable in their jobs. And then it's hard to just resign from a comfortable job to try something that is a bit uncertain. So it's kind of good to see that you turned a challenge into- Yeah, but you're, you're right, Luxon, because to be honest, if I was still in the comfort of a marriage, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't think I would ever, ever have become a freelancer because yeah. I had that security blanket, so to speak, that, oh, okay, even if I lost my job because the company don't cite it or for whatever reason I lost my job, oh, my husband is there, salaries there we can manage, until I get another job. And, but for me, it was desperate times. It was necessity, <laughs> right? And <laughs> just to encourage anyone who's listening is because sometimes you touch on something, Luxon, where persons might think, oh, but I don't have enough experience to go into consulting or become a freelancer. And I say this, if you have ever worked for an employer, that means you will have a skill set that somebody is willing to pay you for. So if an employer is willing to pay you a wage, mm -hmm. it means there is a client willing to pay your consultancy fee. So if you have ever worked even a day in your life, fresh from university, fresh from maybe 30 years of being a homemaker, and if you have even worked one day somewhere where somebody saw such value that they're willing to even pay you $1 for that service, this same service you can sell to a client. So don't let that stop you that you don't have the experience or clients are simply temporary employer and clients are just multiple employers, right? So that is what I would encourage listeners who are maybe held back from going into freelancing because they think, oh, who's going to hire me or who's going to pay for these services yeah but very well said if you can create value as an employee you can create value as a self-employed person as well yeah great and so let's move on to that following you have because I can't remember the exact number but I think it's more than 20,000 LinkedIn followers and I've seen some of your YouTube videos as well and yeah you've got really cool website that provides great value to a lot of people and Molly, well, I know I we met because we were on the same airport bus in Bern that one time when we were on <laughs> different business trips. But then I know a lot of other people in my network had heard of you and seen your posts on LinkedIn. Anyway, so how did, simple question really, how did you get such a large following? I mean, I know it's also a lot to, a, there's a big answer, a long answer and a short answer to that, but mm -hmm. perhaps you could give a few key reasons how you or key methods that you use to develop that. Right, well, you said it, it's creating value. That's it, value. Yeah. Whichever industry you're in, our field, 
think of how you can create value, as much value as possible. And I would say, don't get too bogged down on numbers or creating a following or when you're started, choose your platform, whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Since we're talking about social media now, eh? because that's the approach I used. That was my deliberate strategy because I was trying to go beyond my geographic location. For you, for others, it might be maybe you don't want to build an online platform, but maybe like pre-COVID, you want to network more by going to conferences and trade shows, right? However you choose to build your network, start by thinking, how can I create value for persons in this network? And the more value you can create, the numbers automatically come. People automatically hear of you. People automatically follow you. And that was my mindset from ever since, even with LinkedIn. LinkedIn was a platform I used to amplify my message, to sell my brand. That Anwar Brown in the Netherlands or Jamaica, wherever is open for business. So part of it too, but branding maybe is for another podcast, right? Sure. But is what is the Anmore Brown brand? What value does Anmore Brown bring? And I say Anmore Brown because I am a brand by now. I don't look on yeah. it like Anmore Brown, the person. It's the service that I offer. And how can I create value for the most, the maximum amount of persons? And this, I think, has been my secret formula why people keep coming back to LinkedIn because. If, if, yeah, if I was just doing it without conscious thought and how can I serve, maybe people would follow me for a couple of months and then that's it, right? And once yeah. you have started to create value, do it consistently. It doesn't happen overnight. I have been at this, my LinkedIn, I post daily and I've been doing it for over seven years. So right. to get to the 20,000 followers, <laughs> it takes time. But I know people who have doubled, tripled that amount in quite a shorter time period. But for me, it's about value. So yeah. I like steady growth, mm. right? And I like to have people in my network who connect with me and who I connect with. So for me, it's not about the numbers, but of course the numbers show your reach, of course. But I prefer to have 20,000 persons who feel connected to what I offer and the value I give yeah. than maybe 200,000. Because people can use artificial ways to grow the numbers, but you can have 200,000 persons on LinkedIn and then maybe three of them even act on a post, right? Or don't even, even look at it, right? If even one person's life is touched by something I post, like, ah, oh, and I didn't know that. And they would write me and say, no, I have a better understanding of monetary evaluation because of you. I feel so happy because yeah. it's, it's about service. Brilliant. Yeah, well, for listeners interested, I definitely recommend that you check out Anne Murray's LinkedIn, which we'll link to in the show notes. And I always think of your infographics as in some ways, when I think of the kind of stuff you post, I think the infographics are what sticks out for me. And I mean, I know you do much more than that, but yeah, I think that's kind of really kind of cool and quick way to add value. And also for listeners who want to learn more about this whole point about building a following, recommend checking out our other podcast episode with Jenny Wright, who works in the field of migration. And she gained a following of about 40,000 from 
in some ways, similar things to what Anne is talking about now, adding value, thinking about what the audience would find useful and posting daily on that topic and drawing in an audience that is interested in that topic. Anyway, let's move on a little bit to a few practical tips. And I wanted to ask about how independent consultants who perhaps do other stuff, for instance, I'm a migration specialist and others in the IC hub do a whole manner of things, but there's a lot of thematic specialists, people who do public health already, education and so on. How could they get started in m and and add m and to their portfolio or their service provision, their service offering? Well, I would say find opportunities maybe to collaborate with someone who's already working in monitoring and evaluation. Just to get a little bit of the experience, have an understanding of the ins and outs, because monitoring and evaluation is one of those fields where persons want to kind of know if you have done it before. Yeah. So I would say try and and if you're working already on a project and there's a specialist in M&E, try and do work with them, liaise with them and see how they do it and to get tips and do that once or twice, then you can say you have m experience, even if your role officially on the team wasn't as an m and person, it does help to say that you are part of reviewing an evaluation report, although you weren't the evaluator or you were a part of the evaluation because you collected data or you helped to write a report or you reviewed the evaluation report. These are just some practical tips. Yeah, I think that's a very good point because it can seem a bit like a chicken and egg situation where you need to have monitoring evaluation experience to do monitoring evaluation consultancies, but then how do you get that? And I think you've answered that question really well. And I would also add that for, especially for research focused consultants like like myself, there are M&E adjacent or M&E like uh, consultancies that perhaps don't require you to have the hardcore M&E background, but which you can relate to M&E. So I've done a few, well, I've done some baseline assessments myself where I don't necessarily need to be evaluating indicators, but it's evaluating the situation, the context, and then proposing some indicators. I found that myself more an easier way to get into M&E. And then from there, I can say, oh, I've done baseline assessments. Yes. And One more example similar to that is I've also done, I've also worked on publications for clients, which are kind of like lessons learned from blah, blah, blah. So a kind of soft evaluation, if you will. Yeah, that's a great way, Luxon, a very great way. And when you say that a lot of monitoring and evaluation is, is drawing from research as well, because I have done the opposite. I have gotten consultancies that are research oriented. Like I've had to do a study looking at effects. Well, in this case, it was on involuntary return migrants in Jamaica. And it wasn't called an evaluation of, it was just a study. And I used research methods. So I had to do a survey and in-depth interviews and focus groups, right? So indeed, that although it's research, it is kind of like a needs assessment which is part of the package of the monitoring and evaluation, the baselines, the needs assessments, the formative evaluations. So that is one way, of course, into using whatever research skills 
and um, framing it because evaluations usually it's for maybe providing evidence for policies. It's the same research methods, but maybe with a different aim because traditionally research methods, sometimes research is used for academic purposes, for adding to new knowledge, while evaluation as an applied science is sometimes used to inform policy. So if you did a piece of research that was to inform policy, then just as Luxon, you said Luxon, you can maybe fashion this to be some sort of monitoring or evaluation, although the study maybe didn't say evaluation of migrants, right? So I really like that one. Yeah, also in terms of a concrete suggestion for listeners today, what would you say is, how do you actually find m opportunities? I mean, at the IC Hub, we try to teach our students, especially in through things like the leveling up workshop that we do that, you know, we want to position our students at the IC Hub as people who are the go-to experts and who get a lot of referrals. But if you're starting out and you don't have that yet, where would you look for ME opportunities? Do you have a specific website that you would suggest? All right, there are several websites. I think the last time I had shared a list of websites. Yeah. So maybe you can make that available for okay. in, in some manner. I didn't, I didn't know whether <laughs> that was like home, a secret, right? a secret but, list that we should keep secret or keep um, secret, right? But there's some general ones, you know, Relief Web, of course, all the unjob.com. Okay, so just the usual, the usual impactpool.com. Right. A couple of the donors, they would have their website, USAID. You can go there and look if they have any tenders out as well. The development corporation entities for like the Dutch, the Swiss, so forth. So those are the general. But I have to tell you, like for me, at this stage, some opportunities are not even published. Absolutely. So once you get more established and persons know a few, they will just contact you for opportunities. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely agree with that. And that's exactly what we teach. And in, but in terms of like, also, what about consulting firms? You know, because a lot of ME opportunities, especially, you know, larger evaluations might come through consulting firms who put together teams and bid for the work. Mm-hmm. Is that, would you suggest submitting CVs to a lot of consulting yes. firms? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, and be part of their pool. So when opportunities come up, they can contact you first, right? Mm -hmm. And also join evaluation associations wherever you're based because sometimes these vacancies, tenders, they're posted in those networks. So like even consulting firms that you mentioned, when they have an opportunity, some of them, they write association to say, okay, there's an opportunity coming up in this region. Do you have any evaluators in this region that can be part of the team? Yeah. I strongly suggest getting, being part of professional organizations such as the European Evaluation Society, the American Evaluation Association, wherever you are in your region, there is a evaluation body that you can be part of. Yeah. Great. And also join the IC Hub because we're starting 
as we've been growing our community of independent social impact professionals, we've been getting people who are looking for independent social impact professionals come and contact us. And what about for the more experienced ME consultants out there? What would you say are common challenges or, or plateaus that they face a couple of years in? And how would you suggest that they level up their m and consulting businesses? All right. Well, if you're not careful, you can become boxed in into always doing the same thing. Like I was speaking to a colleague based in the U.S., and her, she has been doing evaluations for years. And the challenge for her is she says, oh, I keep getting, I keep only working on education projects, right? Funded by the federal government or, right? So yeah, because she did one or two of that and it was successful and that led to more of the same, right? Yeah. So it can be tricky. You have to be alert that you don't keep well if you if, if you like doing the same thing over and over that's okay you want to be boxed in if you like the box <laughs> right right and or just doing working on the same thematic areas yeah so this is why like I say I consider myself a generalist and I have of course sectoral interests gender social inclusion but if I'm not careful I keep doing only gender, only social inclusion, while there's so much more. The good thing with monitoring and evaluation, you can work on any, in any development area, right? So I would say for persons, if be you're more seasoned and you see that you keep being approached for the same thing because you build up a reputation as, oh, you're the water and sanitation specialist, the wash specialist, go to so-and-so, Luxon, he's the migration specialist, yeah. right? <laughs> I like well, my you box, might be interested right. in other things. Yeah. I would say look for opportunities that's maybe a little bit out of your comfort zone and go for, for, for those so you don't get boxed in and being known. It's nice to be known as a specialist in an area, but if you're looking for more challenging things, try not to always do one set of assignments all the time. Yeah, yeah that's good advice. I would add a caveat, which is the IC Hub we talk about we distinguish between thematic specialists and then skills-based specialists. Mm -hmm. Thematic specialists being like a migration specialist like I am, and then a skill being monitoring evaluation. And you can combine thematic specialisms mm -hmm. and skills-based specialisms. But what I would say is that it's generally, from a marketing perspective, we've found at least that it, it's kind of easier in some ways to be a skills-based person with multiple thematic specialisms mm -hmm. but it's harder to say you have you're a thematic specialist in several thematic areas mm -hmm. for me to sell myself as both a migration specialist and a health specialist without that skills-based specialism very clear skills-based specialism i think it's makes it a bit harder but anyway just just a few thoughts for people to connect with and what you've just also described definitely connects with what we say leveling up workshop which is to develop your say no criteria and say yes criteria because it can be very tempting to say yes to everything especially if it's well paid and you're a bit worried that you might not get the next project even if if it inevitably does so you've got to decide what you want to say yes to and decide what you want to say no to in advance and try and stick to it, it takes a bit of discipline and it's not easy but it's an important part i think of leveling up Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Anne, for all your insights today. 
And just before we go, I wanted to ask about some of the things that you provide to help people in the ME sphere. So I know you've created a few different resources and products that are on your website. Would you be able to just share a bit about that? Yes. So thank you, Luxon. So I do offer online trainings. So for persons who feel that you know a lot about program management and development work, but you want maybe an introduction to monitoring and evaluation, I do offer online trainings. All information is on my website, www.annemariebrown.com. And also I do coaching, right? So for persons as well, you want to get a little bit more ME experience and you're not sure how to transition maybe into this line of work, or it doesn't necessarily have to be ME. Maybe you want to level up, reach more persons in your industry, want to know a little bit more about how becoming a consultant. I do have a coaching program. You can read more of about that as well on my website. Fantastic. And we will link to that in the show notes. Definitely recommend checking it out. And, you know, we're businesses and businesses have to, I mean, as independent consultants, we're businesses and we have to invest in ourselves, invest in our businesses in order to grow our businesses. Anyway, thank you so much, Anne, for coming on the show. Really appreciated it. Always a pleasure to talk with you. And I look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Impact Consulting Podcast. If you want more free advice and guidance on becoming a freelance consultant in the social impact and international development space, head to impactconsultinghub.com and subscribe to our mailing list. We'd love to see how we can help. Thanks again for tuning in and see you next time.